Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I have to tell you this morning, I am so excited to preach on something that's not sin. So I had an an exceptionally extra pep in my step this morning. Today we are going to talk about our adoption into God's family as his children. In particular, Paul uses the language of sonship, and we'll get into what that is all about. This morning, our passage is Romans 8, 12 through 17, so please open your Bible or your Bible app there. But before we jump in, I'm going to give the same cautionary reminder that I have given every week. It's that we are in the middle of a letter, Uh, And what that means is what we read this morning is contingent on the things that we have already covered uh, and are building for the things that we have yet to cover. We're landing in the middle of an argument of Paul, and so we're going to take some time to understand exactly what we talked about two weeks ago and what Leanne covered uh, last week. So two weeks ago in Romans 7, 14 through 25, I talked to us about this doom loop experience that Paul is reflecting on for the person that knows the law and yet apart from Christ understands that he or she cannot keep the law. And so in that dynamic of understanding what God wants you to do and yet without having the presence of Christ in your life, recognizing that you can't do what God wants you to do, you get trapped up in this doom loop experience. Now last week, Leanne shared with us the good news that there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. And we highlighted the two most important letters, perhaps, in our spiritual journey, N-O, right? No condemnation. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, we have an alternative to the doom loop. And this is exciting stuff. And it sets the scene for another Therefore, hopefully you've found the passage by now. Uh, I'm going to read it for us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory." Now, don't you love it when you crack open your Bible for, say, a daily devotional reading or something of the like, and the first words that you read are, we have an obligation, right? We have an obligation. Now, on that note, I want to point out that it's clear to me that our lead pastor, Adam, has a favorite, and it's not me. 
I get to talk to you about doom loops and obligations. But Pastor Leanne, our worship pastor, she gets to talk to you about no condemnation and freedom and grace. So I'm trying to understand the dynamics here. I'm starting to feel a little bit of like the the pressure and the weight. Uh, I'm just saying there's something going on. Enough about my emotional support needs. Thank you for indulging me for a second. I had to get this off my chest. Let's get back to Paul. The therefore in Romans 8.1 pulls us back to Romans 7.25, which is Paul's proclamation that Jesus breaks us out of the doom loop experience of Romans 7. Our therefore, the therefore found in 8.12, sends us back to Romans 8.2, which says this, Through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the obligation, this big obligation that Paul is talking about, is to follow the law of the Spirit instead of following the law of sin and death. Paul found it important to tell his readers that we have a decision to make. That there's a fork in the road experience here because of the gospel. You have two different options before you. Here's what you can do. You can either follow the law of sin and death or you can follow the law of the spirit. Now, one of the things that we tend to not recognize about following the law of sin and death is that there's really two different ways that we can fall into that trap. The first is by ignorance of the gospel. So we can be trapped in the law of sin and death, if we are apart from Christ and we're engaging in sinful activity, which all of fallen humanity does, and we then get to experience the consequences of death. We've separated ourselves from the life giver, the source of all life, so we'll experience the opposite of life, which is death. Now, here's the other way that we can inadvertently get into the law of sin and death, and that is through legalism. That if we know the gospel and we attach ourselves to Christ and yet forget that it is by his grace that we are saved, not by our actions, then we get tripped back into the same process. So if we are not on a healthy day, so to speak, and I am looking at this and I forget that Christ's grace is what truly sets me up to be able to experience freedom. And I just start thinking that, you know, I'm doing all of these awesome things as a Christian. You know, look at how great I am. Look at all the accomplishments I have. Look at how obedient I am. Look at how much better I am doing this walk than some other people. We're right back into this trap of the law of sin and death because there we're trying to save ourselves instead of clinging on to our Savior. So we have this choice. We can live according to the law of sin and death, or we can live according to the law of the Spirit. And to use the language of Paul from Romans 5.17, this law of the Spirit, or otherwise called the gift of righteousness, it has strings. Right? There are strings attached, if you remember our conversation from a few weeks ago. But they are good strings. So here's the, here is the obligation. If you live according to the law of spirit, then you must stop acting like a slave. Say that with me. We must stop acting like a slave. We'll say it again. Stop acting like a slave. Why? Because Jesus has set 
you free. Now, if we don't stop acting like a slave, if we continue on the spree of living into the law of sin and death, what we're inadvertently doing is saying Christ died for nothing. We're not accepting the gift of righteousness that was given to us. We just keep pulling back into this master, this wicked master, a slavery to sin. Paul puts it this way in verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So to make our choice not only more clear but easier for us, I I want to frame this conversation up in this way. There are two different routes that we can choose. We've been over this. And we can look at this from either the demands of slavery or the privileges of sonship. So we're going to walk through two lists together. One talking about the demands of slavery, the other talking about the privileges of sonship. And then I'm going to let the decision rest in your hands for the way that you would like to walk out your life. Let's start with the demands of slavery. There are five of them. Here's the first. Compulsion. A slave obeys under compulsion because they have to. They've been conditioned this way. It's been beat into them. So that you do this or else this thing will happen. So it becomes a knee-jerk action, habit, or behavior. Now with sin, the more we sin, the more we engage it, we actually can rewire our brains based on actions. Did you know this? So that the action becomes quicker. It becomes more second nature. That's how we can turn into finding out that we have a sin compulsion issue. Become a compulsive liar. Or that we have addiction problems. That it becomes almost an innate muscle memory type of thing. But if we are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to overcome this compulsion. As we engage into Christ and the freedom he's given us by surrounding ourselves with a strong church and Christian community that holds us into accountability. We can engage a process that will give us freedom from compulsion. We would not otherwise have this ability apart from Christ. Here's the second demand of slavery. Fear. Fear is a driving force to compulsion. We become haunted by thoughts like, what if I can't get into the college that I want? Then I'm not going to get the job that I want. What if I never meet the right spouse? What if I don't have the right car, the right clothes, or the right house? And these are not just young people problems. We all have these basic fears of loneliness and security. We all want to fit in. We all want to be loved. And we all want to be taken care of. And those natural desires coupled with the fear of never being truly known and cared for will drive us back and make us break our morals and become once again enslaved in compulsive sin. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that you are loved just as you are. You are known, fully known. You are fully accepted and you are cared for. Given the greatest gift humanity has ever seen, yet while you are a sinner, God loved you in this way. He's known you, he's called you, and he's drawn close to you. Just as you are, 
You are loved and cared for by the most powerful, beautiful being in all of the world. The third demand of slavery is perfection. Perfection and fear are similar. In fact, fear often or insecurity often is the driver for perfectionism. By that I mean our insecurity about how we look, how we act, our accomplishments, our possessions drive us to be perfect so that we can have more. Because at a certain level, we have inadvertently bought into this lie that if only I could be better looking or more accomplished, more powerful, more secure, then I will be happy. If I could just have more of these things, then, only then, could I be happy. Unfortunately, here's the reality of what goes on in this case. First, it's just not true. The strive for perfection is only a mirror into our brokenness. I'm going to say this again so it can sink in. The strive for perfection is only a mirror into our brokenness. The harder we strive for perfection, the more we realize that we will never be able to have it because we are imperfect. And so we get into this other version of the doom loop. We find ourselves yet again into this reality of this thing I want, I'm not capable of getting. And it just brings up a mirror to remind us of our brokenness. That's what perfectionism does. Yet Jesus doesn't need us to be perfect. He was perfect. He carried that for us. And then he laid himself down for us so that we could be given the freedom of grace. Now, grace is not an excuse to be used for lacking discipline. We'll get that to that later. But grace is not an excuse for us to do whatever we want. It's meant to be more of a safety net, not a, re- not a residence. Does that make sense? Safety net, not residence. Compulsion, fear, and perfection, if left unchecked, drive us into this fourth demand of slavery, which is brokenness. They all result in brokenness. Because over time, we realize That if we chase our compulsions and we're driven by our fears, and even if we engage in perfectionistic discipline, we're broken. And our sin only leads us into farther brokenness. The more that we indulge, the more that we explore our sin, the more that we leave it unchecked, the more that we indulge in these compulsive types of behaviors, the more we recognize that the more freedom I'm given to chase whatever it is that I want, the more I am owned by something. It's just the reality. And here, this might, this might hurt. That's the danger of living in liberalism. Our American dream, the basic identity of who we are, is to want to desire as much freedom as humanly possible. It's how we're wired. It's the greatest value of our country. Yet paradoxically, the more freedom that I get to chase the indulgent passions that I have, the more I find myself enslaved to sin. Incredibly dangerous stuff here, which leads us to ownership. 
All of these things lead us to realizing if we engage this compulsive sin behavior, we are not free at all. We're owned by a wicked slave master, which is sin itself. But praise God, there's another option. You can be excited about that. There's another option. Amen. We're, we don't, that does not have to be your reality today. You don't have to choose the demands of slavery. But so why the language of sonship? It sounds like Paul is being a bit archaic, right? It has that little rub against us. What I want us to recognize or realize is that Paul in his day was being incredibly radical. Because what he is saying there is that regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, no matter what your circumstance is, you are adopted as a son of God. And sonship back in the ancient Near East meant that you were an heir of the estate to everything, regardless of who you are. That was radical. That was not the culture that Paul lived in. And so he makes this claim that you are adopted as a son. So would you all like to hear the privileges of sonship? It's way more exciting, right, than the demands of slavery. Here's the, the privileges of sonship. First, security. As a child of God, where the law of spirit begins is that we recognize that we have security. We do not need to be afraid of punishment, sin, or death, because Jesus has satisfied those punishments. Those are parts and demands of slavery to sin, not about living in the Spirit. Now we are children of the Most High King. If you believe in Jesus, then you have security as his child. He's adopted you. There are legal binding actions about being responsible for an adopted child. He is obligating himself to us. Doesn't matter. He does not need you to be perfect. You are his child no matter what. You can be secure there. Second, authority. In verse 17, Paul calls us co-heirs with Christ. In other places, Paul has called us ambassadors of Christ, which means that we have been given authority to function here on earth just as Christ functioned here on earth. Now, I'm going to tell you that this challenges me. It ought to challenge you. One of the things that I'm haunted by is that I don't often lean into the authority of sonship that's been granted to me. Now, what does it look like to walk it out? I'm not entirely sure, but here's something that I know. When the apostle Peter had the Holy Spirit fall on him, and we watch his drastic transformation, he did some things that Jesus didn't even do. Peter could walk by, his shadow would hit hit someone, and they would be healed. That was an ambassador of Christ. Now, is the Spirit moving in those ways today? Yes, in some cases, in some places. Will he do that with me? I don't know. Have I ever given him the opportunity? Probably not. So in what ways are we to be living into the authority that we've given? I don't know. I'm haunted by this thought, so I'm just challenging you to be haunted by it as well. Intimacy. 
By fulfilling the requirements of the law, Christ absolves our shame. This is huge. Back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, once they've sinned, they recognized their sinfulness and they went off and hid. And it broke off their relationship with God. No longer were they walking with him in the cool of the day. Because of Christ, I can have intimacy with God every moment, every second, every day, every year for the rest of my life, through all eternity. I get to be intimately known by the breather out of all stars, the speaker of creation into existence, and there could be no better person to be known by. Fourth is assurance. And this is kind of connected to security. Timothy Keller talks about our assurance in this way. If you, by faith, belong to Christ, you are a son of God and have his spirit. The three are inseparable. Either all of tr- are true of us or none are. So if we have faith in Jesus, we don't have to be haunted by the fear of, am I good enough? So what if I sin today? What if I did something that I knew was outside of the values of God's values? What if I felt like I let myself down today or I let my spouse down or something else happened or or can I break away? I've done things that are too terrible for Christ to love me. Surely he's disconnected himself from me. The reality is in all cases and all circumstances that if we are clinging to Christ, then we have his spirit and we belong to him. We are children of God no matter what. So we can have assurance that so long as we have faith in Christ, that there is nothing that we can do, no place that we can run to, to be unworthy of being within him because of Christ. Then inheritance. As co-heirs of Christ, we also get the same everlasting inheritance as Christ. Can you imagine? Jesus told his disciples that they would be able to sit on his throne like he sits on his father's throne. That's our inheritance. That as sons of God, not only did Jesus lean into us and grab us as we were just wretched sinners, he doesn't just clean us off of the filth of our decisions. What he does is sits us on his throne and that we will reign with him for all eternity. My mind is blown. I don't know what to do with that. What I do know is it's the greatest gift that I could ever be given is to go from a wretched sinner to an heir with Christ for all eternity. Now we get into a couple tough ones. Discipline. Like any good parent, our father will discipline us because he does not want us to return to operating by the law of sin and death. He gave up everything took on the penalty of death for us so that we could be free. And if he sees us inching or pushing ourselves into a place where we are once again enslaving ourselves to sin, he will discipline us. The second part to that is rather than living in a compulsive, sinful nature, we too are to take on discipline for ourselves. 
To say, I recognize that the sin in my life that constantly plagues me creates this opportunity and vulnerability in me that I keep falling up against it over and over and over again. And to that, we must say, why don't we get disciplined about this? Why don't we take some proactive steps? Who do I know that can, I can call into my life to challenge me? What kind of accountability processes could I put in my life to not actualize the trigger that sets me off? What can I do about this? How can I be disciplined to uphold kingdom values? And finally, family likeness. As the son of God, stepping into that role, we recognize that we will act and look and talk and function a lot like Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus told us that do not be surprised when the world hates you because it first hated me. You will naturally bump up against opposition if you choose to live the life of the Spirit. Anticipate it. Expect it. Paul says that only if we share in the sufferings of Christ can we also share in the glory of Christ. Now, I'm going to say something that also might step on your toes, and I'm sorry, it steps on mine all the time. We live in a country where it costs me nothing but dirty looks to proclaim the gospel. How often do I do it? And we have saints around the world where it costs them everything and they still open their mouths. In what ways am I sharing into the likeness of Christ? Friends, this morning, I want you to take some time to reflect. There are two options before you. Paul paints this picture very clear. There's no third way. There's not this other option floating out there. Here's the truth. We have the choice of functioning according to the law of sin and death, which entails slavery. We can chase after the American dream. We can try to be as free and as emancipated in the fullness of my expression to the complete, which will only paradoxically enslave me further to sin, or we can choose to live according to the law of the Spirit. We can take on this amazing offer of sonship, lean into our adoption, and recognize that everything has forever changed, and participate in eternity today. I want you to find some quiet space and invite the Holy Spirit to prick on your heart to see what one you have practically chosen for yourself. And then to make some true commitments to if there needs to be a change, what you're going to do to lean into the sonship Christ offers you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're in awe of you and what you've done. Lord, you give us this freedom through your Son and have called us to take advantage of it. Today, we marvel with the angels of the grace of your gospel. Lord, we thank you for giving yourself for us. 
Lord, help us to participate in that freedom to the full. Empower us, equip us, discipline us in a way that enables us to go and be your hands and feet, your ambassador. Move us according to your will. In Christ's name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.